Hello and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Rashad talking about everything Farmmaker. Hello, I'm Michael Rashad and welcome to Fireside Farmmaker. Today, John Mark Osborne and I are going to talk about Farmmaker 19. What a surprise! We're also joined once again by our resident expert, Mark LaRochelle from Productive Computing. But before we get started, I want to say a big thank you to all our listeners because on the day that Farmaker 19 was released, Fireside Farmaker podcast hit 20,000 downloads, which is more than we ever expected. So if you've been listening, a heartfelt thanks from all of us here. Mark, go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, I'm Mark LaRochelle from Productive Computing. Uh, happy to be on the podcast today. Over to you, John. Okay, so yeah, 20,000 is pretty cool. And yeah, I definitely agree with Michael. It's thanks to you listeners, so we appreciate it. I can remember when I first saw FileMaker 19, I was a little underwhelmed and was looking for that big feature, that revolutionary feature. And it took me a while to figure it out. And I think I'm comfortable with it. And, and if you have that same reaction when you first see the list of features going, what's there? What's in it for me? I think you need to look a little bit closer and, and realize that with all these features that are in there, they're poised for a development revolution. In other words, this is going to change. This this is laying the path for everything that we're going to do with FileMaker, or FileMaker in the future. Things like uh, the web viewer and JavaScript integration, the ability to create FileMaker apps in the cloud, and a new developer tool for copy and schema from one file to another. So it's massive, and, it, and it, you know, you may not have the bullet point and go, "Aha!" I, you know, that's 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 the thing that I wanted right there. But I think that that groundwork that they've they've laid, and even in the previous version to get here, is is pretty massive. And I hopefully through this podcast we can give you that feeling that this is a really cool upgrade. And we're going to start with some of the really kind of minor points that I think are interesting to talk about. Uh, such as the first thing you do when you install FileMaker 19 is you're going to see the new application icon with the Claris Pac-Man logo. It's a little strange for people, a little t- disconcerting because we're used to seeing that application and file icon looking like the FileMaker you know, folder that we're used to seeing. Now it's going to look like the Claris logo. So what do you guys think about it? Well, I think it's kind of strange. Uh, I mean, I, I get it, but I would have... If it had been me, I'd have taken the Claris logo and I'd have put overlaid the FileMaker file icon on top of it so that it was clearly obvious it was just a modified version of what we're used to. But, you know, this is a Claris decision and they're branding it. And I just wonder whether having with multiple products and they've already got two, whether they're going to have more, whether they're going to use the same icon with different colors, different backgrounds. I don't know. Yeah, I believe FileMaker is blue, so the Claris logo in blue and Claris Connect is green. And if they have more products, they'll use different colors, kind of like Adobe did. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, might be interesting to see more of the Microsoft approach uh, where they have different icons. I don't know. It's it's a it's a branding thing. It's a marketing thing, I think. They want, you know, when you see that icon, that it that it tells you that this is Claris, I guess. it's That's the idea behind it. Yeah. I mean, it's more than just a name change. It's a whole image change and what that image means to people. And it creates a rebirth and a refresh. So I think it's 
it's good that they have those icons. It, on the one hand, it makes it a little easier for us at Productive Computing because we're always scrambling around to differentiate the icon between server versus pro versus go, each one having a different icon. It might be kind of nice to settle in on a single icon identity that can represent Claris the platform rather than Claris the product. Yeah, and it's not unheard of. I mean, Adobe does it. So, um, you know, all their products have a different color. So, you know, it's just different. And so don't be surprised. All your icon, your file icon is going to change this new logo. And, you know, we'll all eventually get used to it. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll certainly get used to it. And I don't think we've got any choice, really. But uh, it is worth discussing, definitely. So let's uh, talk about the system requirements, because this is very important for anybody who's thinking about upgrading to FileMaker 19. You don't want to just go ahead and install it. You need to know what the requirements are. So on the Mac OS, you have to have Catalina or Mojave. That's 10.15 or 10.14. High Sierra, which is 10.13, is no longer supported. And then on Windows, it supports Windows 10 Pro and, and Enterprise, but Windows 7 is no longer supported, which I've seen a little bit of grumbling on the forums about. What do you guys feel about Windows 7? Well, I don't feel very much about Windows 7. I never really liked it. But uh, I wonder whether it's because is Windows 7 32-bit and FileMaker 19 is only 64-bit architecture? Mark, do you know? Well, I believe there's Windows 7 is available in 32 or 64. I, I think it has more to do with the number of OSs that an engineering team has to support on a given product. Because remember, everything they do has to be tested and tested and quote unquote certified to work with a particular version. So if you take out a version and if it's justifiable to take it out because the marketplace can handle that removal, then it really greatly reduces the engineering cycles that it takes to test a product and release it in a timely manner. I think, I, I think this has more to do with testing and overall uh, engineering hours than it does 64, 32, but 64 is an important thing to mention on this podcast because yes, the Windows version is now 64 only. I wonder if they've actually done some research and determined that not that many people are still using Windows 7 and they figured that it's time for them to upgrade anyway and this is kind of forcing them to do it. Well, I think Microsoft wants everyone to update to Windows 10. <laughs> and uh, <coughs> And I know for a fact that a lot of our customers, right. Right. Uh, their <laughs> IT companies have mandated that Windows 7 is no longer a viable, quote unquote, certifiable, appropriate OS in the in the marketplace in, in a given situation. So Windows 10 is definitely, you know, the direction everything's moving. So perhaps they just decided now is the time to stop supporting that. I think that's the, that's the crux to it. If the enterprise users are not recommending that they, their clients and corporations use it, then there's no reason for Claris to uh, continue to support it either. And of course, if people have still got Windows 7, you know, they may just choose to stay on FileMaker 18 for another year or two years. And, and that's really what you have to decide is, is am, am I prepared to go to FileMaker 19? Is my system, everybody in my company, you know, everything that's involved. Not only that, you have to consider 32-bit versus 64-bit. There's a lot of problems that people have when they try to work with FileMaker 18 and the send mail script 
and a 32-bit version of Outlook, and it'll say a 64-bit of version of FileMaker can't talk to a 32-bit version of Outlook. And, and so you want to make sure that you know all the ins and outs before you just press that install button because you, you may not get what you want. You may get some incompatibility, some headaches, and, and some downtime. So be careful about that. And last but not least, uh, iOS 13.2.0 or higher is for FileMaker Go 19. And just along those same lines, just also want to remind people that if you install Server 19, it's only backwards compatible to 18 and 18-related 18 Go. So if you have a situation where you have FileMaker 17 clients currently talking to an 18 server, let's say, and you decide to upgrade the 18 server to a 19 server, those same FileMaker 17 Pro advanced clients will not work with 19 server. So it only goes back one version. So just be careful of that as well. Yeah, that's a really important point. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. But isn't that unusual, Mark? Just to go back one version? It's unusual. Yes, it's unusual and atypical of what has happened in the past. They've typically and traditionally gone back two versions of a given FileMaker product server would go back two versions. And that's been the stance uh, all along. I think we heard it a little bit at DevCon last year where they're pointing towards the direction of less uh, versions to support, support only the latest versions. Again, probably goes back to that engineering aspect of things and the support that it takes to go two versions back. Um, you know, I don't know all the political and logistical ramifications for those decisions. But we can speculate that you know they made those decisions, and and that's the reality. But it does impact uh, you know our hosting business. It impacts a lot of decisions we make, even our vertical market solutions. Uh, we always dance between what version are we going to have, you know, the customers running in, because um, it's a balancing act between OS devices too. Because keep in mind, when people upgrade to the latest version of an iPad. That installs the latest version of iOS, and it demands the later versions of FileMaker Go. So if you stick to, to an old version of server for too long, all of a sudden you're going to realize that FileMaker Go, and the only thing that you can get are the latest versions of FileMaker Go, by the way, won't be compatible with your old version of server. Likewise, if you upgrade to too new of a version of server, your old iOS devices won't work because uh, they're not compatible with you know, the newer versions of server because they haven't updated the, the Go yet. So this it's always a balancing act. But Michael, to your point, this particular release is a little bit more stringent because it only goes back one version. So it's just something to be aware of. Yeah, I find it interesting how technology keeps pushing us forward and the companies keep pushing us forward because I mean, my Mac tells me every single day and I don't know how to turn it off that I wants me to upgrade to Catalina. I'm like, I don't want to. No, I don't want to do it. I've seen too many problems with it. And like you said, the i iPad will install the newest version, and then all of a sudden, your FileMaker Go doesn't necessarily work. I mean, it's it's everybody's pushing you for new, and sometimes you just want to stick with the old. Sometimes, a famous entrepreneur in the in a, as a software company. I don't know if it was Bill Gates or somebody. They was asked, you know, how does a software company generate revenue? And they say that the way a software company generates revenue is by creating new releases. Period. End of story. So I think that kind of speaks loud and clear to what we see in the marketplace. Yep. 
Okay, so just beware. Um, now, when you open up FileMaker 19, you're going to see a new welcome screen. You know, the first screen that you see with the ability to create a new file, there's a resources section there now. And you'll see choices called Learn with Claris Academy, Claris Connect, Claris Marketplace, and Find a Partner. Now, these are four important links. The first one is videos from Claris. They'll, if you go and click on that link from that, that welcome screen, what will happen is it'll take you to a, a website and it'll ask you a few questions about your current FileMaker abilities. And then it'll design a web training, video training for you, depending on what skill set you have right now. Now, kind of interesting for us because all three of us record videos and produce them and make money off them. And you'd think, well, we're probably you know, unhappy about this, that right there, there's free videos and, it, you know, but really what it comes down to is they don't go that far into to FileMaker and, and we're really going to teach beyond those basics. And so it's a good place to start. And it actually ends up being more business for us, in, in my opinion. I don't know what you guys think. Well, I don't charge for any of my videos. I haven't up until now. So I just release them as open source and free. Um, but I have considered doing video courses, but I don't see that their learning academy as being anything other than um, getting more people excited about starting with uh, FileMaker than than perhaps before, because they are just introductory videos. They don't really go into a lot of the stuff that all three of us cover and deal with. And um, I think that the more you can help a person get inspired by what the platform can do, the better the chances of them adopting it and adopting it in a deeper way. And when that happens, it inevitably ends up landing into the plates in the arms of a developer or a developer and company. So I think whenever you uh, inspire people to do stuff, they it, it's good for the platform, which is, ends up being good for everyone. So perhaps maybe some of those people watching a video might not need to see one or two of ours, but at the end of the day, it's just going to get them more entrenched into the platform and hopefully be passionate about using it to, uh, you know, an extreme level. Yeah, basically a bigger audience for everybody, which is always good. So if they, they open up FileMaker and instantly they see somewhere where they can learn, because you all three of us, we can't put our videos there. But if Claris gets them into that and they go, oh, now I really like it, then they're more likely to go in to further, you know, learn with our videos and books and, and other stuff. And it just it makes a bigger market. You need to make people happy with FileMaker the first moment they open it up. Right. And so there's also Claris Connect. It's mostly an advertisement. It's going to go to the website and tell you about Claris Connect. And then Claris Marketplace, if you're not familiar with it, just has a bunch of FileMaker solutions on it. I know it says Claris Marketplace. We were used to being the FileMaker Marketplace, but I guess I assume eventually there'll be Claris Connect stuff on there. But basically just third-party stuff there. And then the last one is find a partner or a consultant, you know, somebody who's a FileMaker Business Alliance member or Claris Business Alliance member, whatever they're calling it these days. So it's just, you know, it's just it's just a resource helpful thing for when people open it up, they're not stuck and say, what do I do now? Right. And the marketplace is all new and that's all been reconstructed from scratch and everything that's on there now is a lot more professionally presented and more um, easily paddle, palatable by the average user. So it's really just, it's really up a notch. 
Find a partner is always going through improvement. And then Claris Connect, I personally have worked with that. And I think the promise of that product also is a great enhancement to the platform. Okay, on to our next thing. And and the way we kind of put this outline together is, is I went into the FileMaker online help for FileMaker 19, and there's a great new features listing there. And essentially, that's how we made the outline here. We're talking from experience here. We spent a lot of time with FileMaker 19. We don't know everything. But uh, one of the things that I noticed was that they renamed the FileMaker application. It used to be FileMaker Pro Advanced. Now it's just FileMaker Pro. You're thinking, that's not a big deal. Who cares about that? Well, it does affect a function called the get application version function. And people often use this in scripts to select the correct layout for the current platform or do any kind of decision-making process depending on what version of FileMaker you might have or what platform you're on. So what you're going to get from that function now is instead of pro advanced, all one word, and then the version with the space in between there, you're now just going to get pro question, you know, and then the version. So it's a little bit different. In most cases, it probably won't affect you. But before you go and just, you know, take your FileMaker 18 solution and deploy in FileMaker 19, just take a quick look at where Get Application Version is used and make sure it's going to continue to work. Well, since I'm a genius, I've been using Pattern Count to just determine, look for Pro or Go or iPad. And I don't have to worry about whether it's got advanced or which version. Yeah, and that that in that case you're you're fine, you're perfect. So that was that was somehow you knew FileMaker 19 was going to do that. You... I did. I, I'm psychic, <laughs> he, psychiatric or psychic. I'm not sure. Or which. maybe omniscient. <laughs> he outsmarted. Uh, There's one of those. Don't, AP don't, don't be vulgar. We've got. We're we're not X-rated here, John. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, Probably one of the most interesting things, if you haven't heard about it, but it's been, but Claris has been talking about it for a little bit, is their agile releases, which means that they're going to release FileMaker or new features for FileMaker every quarter, approximately every three to four months. It's kind of an interesting thing because they were doing for last, I think, four releases, it was every year. And before that is every couple of years. In fact, I remember back to FileMaker four to five when I wrote Scriptology there was almost a three-year gap between the four FileMaker 4 and FileMaker 5. It was, it was really crazy how much of a distance there was, but technology is moving so fast now, they need to keep up with what's happening so that you don't have to wait a year to get what you want, you know, the new feature and the new support for this. They can, they can put it in there and, and move along with how fast technology is going in the modern day. Yeah, and I think that's the crux of software as a service these days. Now FileMaker has moved into a model where, <clears throat> excuse me, it's subscription-based. And in order to justify the subscription, you want to continue to deliver value all year long. And to your point, um, the marketplace is rapidly changing, rapidly moving. And when the changes come out frequently, uh, it seems like that product is more relevant, more viable, perhaps even more exciting. So there's a lot of advantages to this agile um, posture that they're taking. Now, Amazon does that with AWS as well? <clears throat> AWS is crazy. Uh, there are literally hundreds of releases a year, uh, various aspects of all their components and their solutions. And uh, it's so much so that you can barely keep up with it. In fact, there's no human that could do it all on AWS. But absolutely, that's um, definitely the direction that they take as well. 
Well, it's nice that they can actually work on a feature and get it pretty well refined and then release it. And while people are getting used to it and giving them feedback, they can be working on something completely different. And I think it's only going to benefit the platform incredibly to be able to do this. So just to make it completely clear for everybody, you're not going to see a version in a year, a big release. In fact, I'm not even sure they're going to have a FileMaker 20. They're just going to keep adding on to it. I don't know exactly. Nobody knows. But I can tell you this for sure. When you go to the Claris.com website, you can't go to FileMaker. It just forwards you to Claris.com now if nobody's noticed yet. But, uh, you know, when you go to their FileMaker 19 features that are on there and what's new with it, there are some things that just say coming soon, coming soon, because they've built a framework or a starting point for what they're going to do. So we're going to talk about a lot of stuff coming up, but you'll, you know, you'll see that new things are coming like JavaScript add-ons. We'll be talking about add-ons later. You're going to be see uh, new templates, probably using the JavaScript add-ons, and you're going to be able to build the add-ons yourself. And they're kind of here, they're kind of not, and you'll see when we start talking about this, but the point here is that, that now they can go ahead and release stuff to people and in a timely fashion and even do somewhat of a pre-release and, and, and then refine it and see how the public reacts to it. It's, it's, it's a much different way of doing things. I think ultimately everybody's going to be much happier once they get used to, okay, well, FileMaker is coming out, you know, every quarter now and, and you just got to keep up with it. Right. And I wonder how that plays a part in certification. Right. How are they going to do that? I, I think uh, you, you've done certification for AWS. Right. And um, the way they do it is once you get certified in AWS, it's good for two years and it's not tied to any one version. It's tied to a time frame. So if a new version, if something new comes out with AWS this month, it most likely won't be on the certification test for maybe up to six months or a year before you actually see that, probably to give the test makers time to create it and the test takers the time to learn it. So and it's an ongoing evolution. There's just different versions of the test. You don't even you're not even aware of what version you're taking specifically. You're just taking an AWS test in a given discipline. So instead of it being tied to a number like 18 or 17, I think it's just going to be the FileMaker certification test, good for two years or something like that. Yeah. So I, I can see them moving that a model because they definitely don't have a FileMaker 19 certification right now, and I I don't believe they're going to have one. They're going to do something like. Amazon's doing or, or some of the other companies are doing already doing agile releases. And I think you're going to see more companies going this route because there's no other way to do SaaS, as you said, or to keep up with the technology unless we start changing their development model. They have to do this. And so people are going to be going, oh, this is not what I'm used to. And it's crazy. But, you know, get used to it. This is the way things are going now. Right. Okay. So you're not confused, and this is on Macintosh only, you now have a drag installer. So basically, when you double-click on the DMG, it's going to open up, and it's going to say, drag this file, the FileMaker app, over to your applications folder, and then it's installed. It uses the FileMaker uh, licensing file to determine... Uh, whether you you don't you don't have to enter that long digits anymore and, and it just it's it's much easier but it's a little it's also a little disconcerting because you're like where's where's all my folders I'm used to I mean, you you can control click on the app and open stuff up but it's not as it's not a full you won't see a folder on there and and see all the familiar stuff you see in that folder 
Right, well, if you want to install a plugin, for instance, you now have to go into Preferences to Plugins, and then there's a button that you press to open the Plugins folder, which is the Extensions folder. And once that's open, you can then drag the plugins to there. But it's not very obvious at first glance how to do that. Especially if you're used to how it used to work, right? So Correct. So remember that control click on the application icon to see the package contents if you want to poke around a little bit. Uh, but it's 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 completely different. I have all my FileMaker 16 folders, 17, 18, and then 19 is just this little icon. It's just it's it's interesting. So it's, it's a different thing, and and things are changing. So yeah, but I would argue that the method they're using is a modern way of doing it. Oh, absolutely. I've been installing stuff that way for a long time now, and and uh, so yeah, they it's definitely the best way to do it, and it's the cleanest way to do it, and. You know, we're not engineers, but there probably is a lot of reasons why it works. But as far as the user, it just makes it easier to install stuff. Right. Okay. Well, let's talk about high efficiency image file. Easy for you to say. Yeah. I, I, what's what, How do you say it? Hyph? I, I don't, don't know what how to say, but I, I certainly, uh, H-E-I-F. I mean, well, <laughs> I'm not sure how we, we referred to it, um, you know. Uh, but <laughs> that's what we've got. It's it's basically uh, a replacement for JPEG, and it the idea behind it is it is the same quality JPEG, and Hyph <laughs> is going to have half the storage. So same quality, half the storage, better compression on the Hyph. Why why wouldn't they do it that way? Um, why wouldn't they do that? In fact, Apple decided back on iOS. 11 that they were going to adopt it as a standard. I didn't know that. I learned about this as we're, you know, you know, FileMaker 19. What's this thing? What, what, what? So I researched it and Googled it and found out a whole bunch of stuff about it. So it's kind of interesting. And so you can, you know, insert a picture in, you know, into a container field. Now you won't see that choice on the menu, but it will allow you to put that format in there, which on the Macintosh, I think Apple, for some reason, has renamed the format H-E-I-C. And at least that's the extension on Apple's, you know, the, the platform you'll see. But they'll go right into a, a container field. And so uh, you'll start seeing that format a lot more. And, and uh, you know, this is the first I've been introduced to, but, you know, I, I think we'll see a lot more from everybody because if it's half the size, that's that's the name of the game right there. Yeah, that'll save, that'll save on overall file size for those who embed those images in a container field. And for those who are using externally stored containers, it will save room on the hard drive, making backups quicker, all of that stuff. So I don't think we know much about the, or at least I don't, about the new enhanced security for Claris ID. Why don't you give us a, you know, a 30 second rundown on this uh, new option and file options? Sure. So Claris ID is a new way to identify, a, in a sense, a Claris customer using Claris using the Claris platform. So if you are using Claris Connect, for example, you'll need to first establish a Claris ID, uh, which they had called FileMaker ID for the longest time. So it might be called Claris ID now at this point. So that was a necessary thing to do. And what that establishes once you have that is a way to identify yourself in your ability to log into a given file that's hosted with FileMaker Cloud or a given service such as Claris Connect. So it's really just a way to identify and authenticate people, a way of having a place and a way to do that in the cloud. But it's only, it's really just your email address and then you set a password. It's nothing that you've got to particularly remember other than what password you use, which is 
the bane of all our lives, remembering passwords. Yeah, it's nothing particularly fancy uh, from the user perspective. Yeah, it's just, it's just a fancy word for credentials. Yeah, account credentials, yes. Um, and I think they generically call it Claris ID because it will span across multiple Claris products. Oh, right. So you can use it on Claris Connect and FileMaker. Gotcha. Yeah, FileMaker Cloud and Claris Connect or you know, whatever else comes out down the road. Yep. Makes sense. Okay. Well, that's enough about that. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I mean, it, it is what it is. It's basically a better security with Claris ID. That's what it comes down to. And we'll stop at that. There's nothing interesting to say about it, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> but what I do kind of find interesting and I in in, in a, a small feature is this new startup file option in preferences which allows you to specify a filemaker file whether it's locally or more likely going to be in the cloud or on a you know hosted uh, filemaker platform it allows you to specify that so when you open up filemaker you know you're double clicking on the application it opens up it's going to automatically open that. And, you know, people have often done launcher files to do that because people get confused. You know, users are, they just want to get their job done. They, they don't want to have all this stuff getting in the way. They don't want to, they don't want to, they just want to get their job done. They, they want it easy. So if your, your colleague says, hey, just open FileMaker. Well, now when you open FileMaker, it will open your company solution if you wanted to because of that preference option there. I think it's a very good option because it's rather, in a sense, like set error capture in the scripts. Because if you're doing a find and you don't find any records, we, the user won't understand no records found and we know what to do. Whereas because we've got error capture, it allows us to, to control what happens if no records are found. And it makes it easier and more obvious for the user, which is ultimately what we're all trying to do. Yeah, and that's what launcher files were supposed to be doing. You know, you make a, a single user file that has an open script in it that opens up the file on the host because for people who are just using it to, to enter data, they don't want to go, oh, where do I go? I go to the file open remote or open host or whatever they're calling it this week. You know, it just makes life easier. And that's what it's just really a, an easy view. So it's really for developers and users to make users life easier. And it makes us developers life easier, too. Yeah, and just to remind the, the listeners that this is something that's available at the computer level. It's specific to uh, the preferences of FileMaker, not necessarily the preferences of a file. I wonder if, uh, the and this is just totally off topic, well, not totally off topic, but not in our outline. I wonder if the assisted install allows you to automatically specify that path in there so that you can just install it uh, you know, uh, easily and then have it connect to your solution already. I haven't looked at that, but I was thinking the exact same thing about 45 seconds ago when you were talking about it. Well, I was thinking about it a minute ago. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. One of those things, we don't know everything about FileMaker 19. We're not embarrassed to say that. Um, you know, some things we won't know, but it's it's good to, to think about these things and go, I wonder if that works. Because if you're installing a solution for a new client, and it's you know going to be used by 200 people or something. Do you want to go to every computer and, and put that path in there manually? No, you probably want it to work with this assisted install. I'm sure Claire's thought about that, but we'll have to look that up later. And Michael was mentioning, does assisted install even apply? Because we have a drag and drop application. Where is the installer if there is a so-called you know assisted install? So I'd be curious to know if there is one available. That's a good point. In the first place, I think Michael, that's what you were trying to. 
mentioned earlier. Okay, so um, let's talk about quick layout navigation. This is probably, I'd have to say, I haven't gotten to use it that much because it just came out, but I would have to say I'm thinking this is going to be my favorite feature. From, from FileMaker 18, it was the shift arrow where you nudge things on layout mode. Small feature, but it's changed my development life. And I was never a big fan of things, you know, like the, the layout uh, manager uh, or using the layout menu to navigate. Because if you have a big solution, it just, it, it's clunky to go down that menu and go, where is it? What folder, you know, or if, if you're using the layout manager, it just didn't seem to work that well. I always have to close it afterwards. This is a nice thing. It's like Spotlight if you've used it on a Macintosh. All you do is you put in layout mode, you type command option K on the Macintosh or on Windows, control out alt K. And what it comes up is a little screen comes up on, on there and you can start typing the name of the layout. It'll start filtering the list and you click on the one you want. Bam, you're right there. You don't have to close the, the, the manage layouts. You don't have to fiddle with a long menu. It just makes life so much easier in my opinion. And I'm so hoping that they bring the same filtering system to the relationship graph. Absolutely. What you use uh, MBS, is that what you use right now, Michael? Yeah, MBS, which is Monkey Bread Software's plugin, has a search filter that turns up in the relationship graph, and you can start typing the name of the table occurrence. And it will type ahead and give you the occurrence, and when you see the one you want, you just hit the Enter key, and it goes straight to that table occurrence. So it's very useful for that. It's also very useful because you can uh, enlarge the text in ScriptMaker, and in uh, calculations to make them more readable for those of us whose eyesight is failing, and I am one of those people. Yeah, it sounds like a really useful plugin that uh, maybe that's uh, where uh, Claris got the idea. Who knows? <laughs> and maybe they'll apply to other areas of, yeah. of you know the application. But I think you and I both, Michael, have recorded and mentioned this uh, you know half a dozen times at least about how the relationship graph become can become so unwieldy. It's so difficult to find what you're looking for. They, they need something to make it easier to work with so that when you're, you're not scrolling up and down, up and down, up and down, trying to find something you know is there, but the graph is so big, you've, you know, and you haven't dealt with that table occurrence for a while, you forget where it's at. Yeah, it's up and down and left and right. That's right. I forgot the left and right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would be really good, and I think you might have said this before, Mark, to be able to, to view that relationship graph in a list form with you know, some kind of hierarchical system so you can see a table and then see all the table currencies connected to that and be able to click on it and go straight to that on the relationship graph. That would be fantastic. Absolutely. When you think about just several years ago, they added folders to layout lists, as well as script lists, as well as filtering capability, where you can just put in a few letters and you'll get your layout and script name appear filtered. Revolutionary back then, essential today, but I think even more important is to have that for the relationship graph, which is more unwieldy than the script list ever was. So give us some way to organize that, to filter it, to search it, to manhandle it in a way that makes it easier for the developer to survive. I think what's really interesting about the relationship graph is that people who aren't, haven't spent a lot of time developing with FileMaker don't realize how complicated and how big that relationship graph 
can become. And even when it's incredibly well organized and very neat and tidy, it's still like an AT&T wiring diagram. And you go, oh, my God, how do we find where, what we're looking for? And it's just you can't really avoid that. So, yeah, maybe this is just a test and they'll bring that same spotlight like capability into the relationship graph. Maybe this will do something else. But what we have today is it is for sure going to make your your development much more efficient by being able to switch with a keyboard command, never touching the mouse and switch to the layout you want and start working. It's it really I mean, we're talking a lot about what we'd like, but really, this is this is an important development feature that I think that uh, most developers are going to welcome with open arms. Oh, it's a fantastic feature, John. It's it that's really one of to me, that's one of the most exciting things in 19. Yeah, but I said it first. So <laughs> that doesn't you, mean to say you thought of it first. It just means you said it first. Yeah, well, that's all that counts, right? <laughs> Find yourself a feature that you like best. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to something that, you know, I'm kind of going, hmm, is this really important for me? And you got to remember that this feature is probably important to some people out there. And what it is is if you go into layout mode and you click on a field, and you go to the inspector and you go to the last tab called the data tab and scroll all the way to the bottom, you have formatting there. You can format dates and numbers and all that kind of stuff. Now you have the addition of scientific notation. Well, I think obviously that's going to be of no value to you or I or probably Mark, but it will be valuable to researchers and scientists who do use FileMaker in huge quantities. And I know one particular lab that uses has hundreds of FileMaker installations and they're very, very cutting edge scientists. So I suspect it's in response to their needs rather than just the general user. Yeah, they've done that a lot in the past where they put in features for big companies like Boeing and, and who knows who else. I know for sure one was for Boeing, but I'll keep quiet about it. Uh, but yeah, they do that for the big companies and, and they probably said, hey, we need more control over uh, numbers in, in as far as scientific notation. And that's how it got in there. And now we're on to the next feature, which is going to be a much bigger feature, much more appealing. And in fact, I've been hoping for it for about 30 years. I might be 29 or something, but I remember back when I was working for the first Claris, not the second Claris, I remember working in tech support and about once a week, somebody would say, how do you put, how on my report, I can get a page number on there, but I can't get the total pages. I want to do something like page four of 15 or five of 15 on each page. How do you get that page count? And up until now, You've had to write a script and use a global field to get that. You enter preview mode, you go to the last record in preview mode, you set a global field to the page number, which is a, you're on the last page, and then you got it. But why have to do that workaround? I remember I, I'm just was so relieved. I'm like, wow, that just came out of left field. I didn't think we were ever going to get this page count thing. You know, it's funny that some of these features that we developers have been asking for for years all of a sudden show up. I remember being able to not being able to insert a field into a tab order, which you can now do. And when it actually happened, it was like, hallelujah. Yeah, sorting a portal uh, key, right? Sorting a relationship too, yeah. But this will be a nice nice thing to have, especially for anyone who's new and didn't 
already know the workaround. They'll just expect it anyway. Give me my page number. Give me my page count. There I go. God, I was going to do an add-on to show that. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We'll talk about add-ons in a little bit. But just so it's really clear, um, it's it's those symbols that you insert in layout mode where you have a bunch of them. And, uh, you know, the little squiggly brackets that are around them now. That's what we're talking about. So there's one already for page number that was existed for a long time. But there's now the page count. So it's really clear. clear. And they've also... I think done a really good job on it. They didn't just say, okay, let's give them what they want. They went a little bit further and they gave us a function, a get function called get page count. And I was thinking about how this might be useful. Why would they do that? And I'm like, there must be some reason I'm thinking, oh, well you have title headers and title footers or replace the header and the footer on the first page. What if you want something on the last page? Do we have some other kind of part? Well, I guess they decided that we want to, allow you to make a calculation that will put some some text on there uh, that might say you're on the last page and maybe it's just a disclaimer or who knows what might be there but now you can indicate in a calculation or a script what you want to do depending where you're at and so if you're in you know in that you know printing out a report you can say on the last page I want it to say something different I want this calculation to to put something up on the screen so I think it could be very powerful when those kind of sleeper features that all of a sudden people start doing some really cool stuff with it yeah, I think it's definitely um, something that uh, has some potential to be extremely useful. But before we go on a little further, let's just talk briefly about title headers and title footers for people who know, don't know what they are. It enables you to put content on the first page only that doesn't appear on other pages. And a good example of where a title footer might be useful is where you have a signature block on a document, multi-page document, and on the first page you have full space for them to type this sign the document all their name and everything but then on subsequent pages you just have a, a block where they initial the page to indicate that they've signed it so it's very useful for things like that or simplifying a having a head area on the first page with a logo and graphics that you don't need on every single page yeah, it's really cool. I mean, you know, I don't use it very often, but when you need it, it's there. And, and basically, it replaces the header and the footer on the first page. So you can have a title header and a, uh, and a header on, on, on your layout, but you'll only see the title header on the first page. And then on the second, third, and so on pages, that's when you're going to see the header. So you can kind of conditionally choose what goes on with parts there. This is kind of the same idea, just a little bit different, gives you a little more flexibility. And you can also predefine what, how many pages are going to print with that new function. So you could actually warn the user to say, you know, this report is going to be over 100 pages. Do you, do you still want to continue or do you want to refine your search type of thing? So you could possibly do it that way. I mean, you can do that with a record count too, but it's more precise and accurate to do it by page count, which might have more relevancy to the user. Yeah, you could even switch to a, a different type of layout depending on, you know, uh, maybe you have a one page document versus a two page document layout. And you're saying if it's one page, well, go to this layout, it's optimized for it. Otherwise go to this one, which is optimized for one or more or two or more uh, pages. And, and you know, there's the possibilities are endless. It's just going to give you m much more decision-making uh, abilities. And, and that's what we like. I love that. 
Yeah, I mean, the other extension of that might be that if you've got a lot of records, you ask the user if they want to just print a summary instead of a detailed report, because a lot of the time, summary reports are all that a customer needs. Right. You imagine if it's a 3,000 page report, you can say to somebody, hey, are you sure you really want to print this? You know, did you make a mistake? Is there too many records? There's so many possibilities. I think this is going to be one of those sleeper functions that I think a lot of cool stuff, a lot of functionality will be built into FileMaker with it. Well, I, I remember a story. This has happened to me. I had a client in uh, Florida and they brought in a new chief financial officer and he wanted a daily report listing every single sale that was made by the company on a daily basis. And he told me what he wanted. And I said, no. And he went, what do you mean? No. I said, no. He said, why not? I says, because it's a 350 page report and you'll never read it. I'll give you a one page summary. And <laughs> we went round and round and round. And finally he went to the head of the company and says, Michael won't do what I'm telling him to do. And, the head of the company says, and he's right. You won't read it. You're not having it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's important. I mean, that's a cute story and stuff, but it's got a really important message behind it, which is sometimes you have to tell your client or convince them that what they're trying to do is not a good idea. Yeah, you got to say no sometimes. Absolutely. Let's move on to button bars. Well, I'm not really excited about this, um, but I'll talk about it briefly, and then I'm. It sounds like you're excited about it, but give me a second to to tell everybody the basics about it. And so, a button. What you can do now is uh, you can copy and paste through the inspector through the appearance tab. You can copy and paste individual segment segment style states. So anybody who uses these button bars, which I am not sold on them. They seem clunky to me. Now you have the ability to control them much better as far as the look and feel of them and copying stuff between, you know, separate button bars. So tell, tell, go ahead. I know you're excited to talk about this, Michael. Go for it. Well, I use button bars all the time. And the, my own, well, I have two criticisms about them. One is that they are all, the buttons are all the same size, irrespective of the amount of text that you've got on the button. So you can't control the width of each button, which I think is annoying. And it's nice to be able to now put a specific style on a on one button to um, to create a just a, a visual clue. But what I really like about the button bars, John, is that you can conditionally hide objects. So, for example, let's say you've got a list of records and They've done a, somebody's done a found a search and isolated X number of records out of the found set. You've got a button that says show all records, and that button is hidden when the found count equals the total record count. So when all records are shown, you don't see the button. And when there are records that are hidden, the show all button appears. And so that's all controlled by the hide object when and that also means that you can when you when the button is hidden the other buttons just enlarge to fill up the space so you might have six buttons and then you only have five but you're still taking up exactly the same amount of space and because it's one unit you haven't got to then worry about moving buttons and aligning them properly and all of that stuff fantastic tool i didn't like it at first but i love it now i use it all the time 
Yeah, you may have just sold me on button bars. That is an unbelievable way. I did not know you could do that, and and, and I'm I'm not embarrassed to say that. I don't don't know everything about FileMaker. That's that's pretty cool. I wish they'd apply that same functionality to tab controls. So if I was on a record that was a particular contact type and they didn't need what was under that tab, I could make it disappear. The only thing I can do right now is make the calculation of that tab be nothing and it makes it really small, and it, but it's still there. I wish it would just completely disappear. Well, that's actually the reason why I don't use tab panels anymore, John. I use sliding panels. And so the panels are not showing the buttons and the little dots at the bottom so you, can, so you know how many panels there are. But the buttons that go to each of the named pan panel, each panel is a named object. If you want to hide one of the uh, one of those panels, you just hide that button, so the user can't get to it. So you you effectively got the best of both worlds. But it is a problem with tab panels, and hopefully they'll go around and change that. But but what you're saying now is I can solve my problem by using slide controls and using a button bar and I won't have that issue anymore. And it's not exactly that much more complex to program. Exactly. Can I send you an invoice? Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so big big fan, not a big fan, now a new fan. Um, you know, all kinds of stuff are happening during this podcast. It's pretty cool stuff. Yep. Okay. Web direct card windows i know a lot of people have been waiting for these oh boy um, oh yeah. boy <laughs> we <laughs> we've got one fan i i personally don't like web direct because of the limitations you know it's a closed system you get what you get you can't add on to it and it puts a big strain on filemaker server because everything's done on the server and rendered there then sent out to the web page so for those reasons, that keeps me away from it. But I think the reason people love WebDirect is it's so easy to do. And when they didn't have card windows, it was a big problem because card windows have become a lot of people's favorite feature. It, they're really incredible. I've been using them more and more and more ever since they came out. And so I can understand why people are excited about this. So WebDirect card windows now support particular script steps that weren't supported. So now adjust window, move resize window, and new window, all three of those script steps now work with WebDirect on the card window. So you can put them wherever you want. And you also get the functions that didn't work with it before, like get window left, get window style, and get window top. So pretty cool stuff for people who like WebDirect. Yeah, it's very, it's very cool and very useful. And I've got one client who's got I think 20 different uh, WebDirect portals connecting to the main database that the, the actual WebDirect files have no data in them whatsoever other than just one record. And they connect through that single record to the main uh, main solution. And because of the one thing that was a limit was you want to see a report? Well, the, web, the card window would be absolutely perfect to display that report, but they couldn't do that up until now. And this is really a big step. Yeah, we have a customer that uses a vertical market solution that is exclusively WebDirect. Actually, we have a few customers that use that technology, even for end user customers. And um, this will be a welcome change for them. And it's nice to see, they'll especially appreciate the fact that Claris is continuing to innovate on the WebDirect side of things, um, rather than just letting that particular technology 
go stagnant. I mean, when you think about it, it is amazing technology. Just amazing. Oh, it's unique too. I don't think there's a platform quite like it in that in that respect. Yeah, I'll have to agree with that on um, on that particular point for sure. It's definitely easy and 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 unique and and you know definitely used by a lot of people. I just I still can't get past the closed system and the the resources required to run a web direct solution. But you know you've got to weigh that against what you can do. Are you, are you going to hire a team of PHP or XML or, or experts and use the data API? It's going to take significantly longer to develop a web solution. So I get that part. I just it's not only going to take significantly longer, John. It'll cost a small fortune to have that done. You can get do the same thing in web direct almost instantaneously. I mean that's just on its own, that's an incredible advantage. Yeah, I think my point is that if you're going to use WebDirect, make sure you know what the limitations are, what you can do and what you can't do. It's a closed system. And if you're good with that, because I have so many people on the forums, because I spend a lot of time there, come up saying, hey, can I do this with WebDirect? Oh, why can't I do that? Well, it's a closed system. And that's my only issue. I want to make sure people are aware of that. If it does what you need, then get it and use it and it'll be perfect. Just don't expect it to expand. Um, you won't be able to change. You won't be able to put JavaScript in it. You won't be able to do any kind of any of those acronyms, add-ons. You just It's just web direct and it's pretty cool and easy and does a lot of stuff, but it is limited. Well, it's limited right now, but the way that Claris is working, I don't think it will be in, in, not, in the not too distant future. The fact that they've got card windows working, which was a big problem, indicates that they can now do a lot more and will do a lot more in the future. Okay, let's move on to one of the biggies. Well, it's not big right now. You're going to you're going to see these add-ons. They're in FileMaker. You know, didn't we have those before? And yes, they did have them before. They had add-ons when you defined a portal, you had a choice to do an add-on. They've moved over to the left pane over where the fields and the objects are, and there's an add-on section now. And you have the same exact seven or same exact 11 add-ons that were in FileMaker 18. The difference is they've moved it over there because they're eventually going to put what we're all excited about, which is the JavaScript add-ons. Imagine being able to have an add-on that you drag out onto your layout. It creates a web viewer, puts the JavaScript in, puts all the tables in, puts all the scripts in, makes a full feature for a calendar. Because calendars have always been an issue with FileMaker. It's not really well designed to do it. But JavaScript does it really well. You get the drag and the drop. And imagine being able to drag and drop stuff and it communicates with FileMaker and puts the record in the database or modifies and things like that. It's just an incredible technology. And it will, with their agile release, be coming out fairly soon. They will be releasing uh, the, you know, these features, some of these features we've talked about as we're coming, and we don't have to wait a year to get these JavaScript add-ons. In fact, we've already seen them working. They're pretty darn cool, and there'll be quite a few of them out there. Yeah, and this is, this is the talk of the town right now, revolutionary, both in the functionality that they provide as well as the potential that they can provide for customization in, or at least perceived directly in the FileMaker application uh, through the web viewer and having all of that communicate back and forth with the with the data. It really just opens up the world to a near endless possibility list. 
in terms of interface. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I mean, I don't know Java, JavaScript, and quite honestly, I'm not sure I'm ever going to find the time to learn it. But since there's such a huge number of expert JavaScript developers in the world who will be coming up with stuff that we can just drop into a FileMaker solution, the, it makes the potential um, growth of solutions just exponential. And I think you made the point really good, and I'm going to kind of rephrase it a little bit, is that right now in FileMaker 19, you have JavaScript integration. They've added that. It's not that you couldn't do it before. You'd have to use the FMP URL and, and things like that in previous versions. In fact, I saw Saliant doing it way back in FileMaker 13, integrating JavaScript with FileMaker and having them communicate back and forth. What FileMaker is doing in FileMaker 19 that they actually have right now, they don't have the JavaScript add-ons, but they do have the JavaScript integration. And that includes you know, uh, a script step called perform JavaScript in WebViewer, and then a JavaScript function called FileMaker.PerformScript. And so those two things allow them to communicate back and forth. And there's some other functions we'll see later that'll work with it. But that's the main crux of it. What we're talking about is that they're going to put for people who don't know JavaScript, like Michael and me, I don't know about you, Mark. No, not really, not fluent. But you probably have somebody on staff who knows it, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Mark will be the guy making these JavaScript add-ons for us. They'll put together this JavaScript cool thing and put all this stuff together, and then they'll create their own add-on, which you can do right now, although it's a little convoluted. It'll probably, it says coming soon on the on the claris.com website, but in reality, you can actually do it right now because I saw DB Services create their own add-on. It's really kind of pre-release right now, but that's the cool thing is all these smart people in JavaScript will create these add-ons and you'll simply drag them out. It's going to change the face of FileMaker development. You'll all of a sudden be able to put all these cool web viewers with all this JavaScript in there and do things you've never done with FileMaker before. And, and for me, that that item is the calendar. I mean, doing a calendar, I've, I've done a lot of calendars in my life and FileMaker with just FileMaker features is not, it's not, you really need a web viewer to get what you want. And this is going to just change how people do stuff, especially when they get that add on there and you just drag it out. Oh my God, I'm just, I'm foaming at the mouth right now. Yeah. And just some of the uh, examples that we've seen in the potential beyond calendars. Calendars is a great example because that's, I mean, that's what customers expect. You know, they, they use Google Calendar now, they use iCal, or now called Mac Calendar or what have you. This is what they use, and this is what they expect. So when we would de deliver a calendar based on the old paradigm, and John, I'm sure you're familiar with this, Michael, too, you'd put it a bunch of portals and things like that, and all of a sudden you couldn't drag and drop, you couldn't do this, it didn't resize correctly, and it was just kind of clunky, didn't present well. But now having a modern calendar UI, just to name one perfect example, is indeed going to be a total awesome news uh, situation. Isn't uh, Seedcode's calendar dayback calendar JavaScript? Well, yeah, I believe I believe that, that calendar and uh, the adoption of full calendar I/O, which many developers have done, as well as um, I think there's a few others in the industry that all have HTML slash JavaScript calendar aspects all presented in a web viewer, all delivering great UI. Um, and I think 
and I think, John, you might have already alluded to this, the distinction here and why this is important going forward is now you can directly call a FileMaker script from within a web viewer where before you had to use a URL, which made it a little less reliable, a little more clunky in terms of the integration between the two. Um, among all the other integrations, like John had already mentioned, the script step to directly call uh, JavaScript code from a script. So it's not that the web viewer has changed all that much. It's how we operate with the web viewer that's changed. And then in conjunction with that, the ability to have an add-on with the drag and drop capability where you drag an add-on to a layout, uh, giving us a way to package those calendars in the solution directly. Because keep in mind, if I were to use a seed code calendar or any of these others that we've mentioned, I would have to you know, purchase the product and use this, the file that they provide and then weave in all the data integration. You know, Weave in the scripts that I need, weave in the data so that it's calling the right um, things. Now, granted, it, it was well-documented and, and procedural and people, people are doing that today. But I don't think it compares to what you get with the drag and drop capability, one configuration button, and then you just assign the, the four or five fields that you need and you're off to the races. Big difference. Yeah, I think, I think it comes down to it's a supported feature now. There's no workaround. In fact, there's a couple of functions that you'll need in order to do your own integration also. And we're going to we talk about them at the end, but we'll, I'll mention them right now. There is the, uh, oh, where are they? I know I have them listed in here somewhere. The path conversion ones. I don't know if you know them off the top of your head. Yeah, there's a conversion of FileMaker paths to, oh, there it is, convert from FileMaker path and convert to FileMaker path because FileMaker uses some non-standard paths that aren't compatible with JavaScript. And so these functions are also in there so that you don't have to do it. You know, you, it, FileMaker does all the work for you. So it's just become a, a viable solution as far as, as far as, uh, you know, being supported with uh you know, with FileMaker and you don't have to use a workaround, even though it worked fine before and there's all these great calendars out there. Now it's, it's, it's a, an actual feature in FileMaker. They're saying, go ahead and do it. And they're going to support it for the future. And so you won't have to worry about, you know, maybe FMP URL not working quite the same way and, and destroying your solution. It's, it's a supported feature. And so you're going to see a ton of people now developing JavaScript integration. It's going to really change the interface in FileMaker and how you develop a FileMaker solution because now I don't have to do these crazy, you know, you know, connections to, uh, you know, to Google Calendar or, or you know, buy a plugin or any, you know, I, I can use some free JavaScript libraries, put them into a web viewer and communicate and do some really really interesting stuff. I, I this feature alone is going to change how people develop FileMaker. It's just, it's going to be unbelievable. You're going to see so much stuff mm -hmm. coming from this. Yeah. And just to make my point a little bit more, even if you don't know JavaScript, you're still going to get those add-ons eventually, which will allow you as a regular guy, again, just it's, it, it, if you don't believe me, you can drag this, this little add-on on and it makes all the tables, all the fields, all the scripts, all the integration, everything's done. All of a sudden the calendar's there. You can go to the table, add a record, it automatically appears in the web viewer inside the JavaScript and on the calendar. It's amazing stuff. And, and I, when you see it for the first time, you're going to go, oh my goodness, I would have never thought FileMaker could do this. It'll be rather nice to be able to shut up the Excel users in the world who 
who their one argument for having Excel is that Excel can do a pivot table, which FileMaker can't do natively or very easily. And we'll now be able to drop a JavaScript library and it does that. Yay. So just so it's really, really, really clear, you have regular add-ons right now. They're the same as FileMaker 18. You have JavaScript integration, so you can do all the stuff if you know JavaScript, but the JavaScript add-ons, which there'll be a calendar one that comes shipping with FileMaker, that's coming soon. And you'll even see it on the website. It says the same thing. It's coming soon. And a Kanban board, which is also incredibly useful. Yeah, timers, Kanban boards, barcode generators, there's tons of stuff. And who knows what development community is going to come up. You go to the Claris Marketplace, you're going to start seeing add-ons there. It's going, to be, it's going to be amazing. It's going to change how you develop. I just keep saying it, but it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. So We're excited about that, for sure. Okay, so I can't talk much about this. I think Mark's probably going to be mostly one talking about it, and maybe Michael and I will ask a few questions. But they have a new script step called Execute FileMaker Data API, which allows FileMaker, essentially, I believe, to talk to itself via the data API. And I guess the data API is usually used mostly for web development, right? Yeah, generally speaking, the data API that we know and love today is something that is driven from FileMaker server. Uh, a user would establish an external connection to the data API, not unlike they would with PHP, for example. And they'd be able to add records, pull records, and even run scripts. And that all exists today and has for a while now, but you needed FileMaker server to do it. So with this new idea, you can do that very similar um, set of instructions, except you can do it right now in the local application. And I think the primary reason, because I've been thinking about, you know, why why was this created and what's the practical use for it? And I think it has mostly to do with the fact that now you're going to be running JavaScript in the web viewer. So the JavaScript can then call the internal data API to get data and present it in the web viewer, um, giving you another way to present records in the web viewer versus having to construct the records in a series of scripts ahead of time and then pumping that HTML into the web viewer. You can have the web viewer JavaScript directly call the internal data API and pull the records in real time right to the web viewer as you interact with it. So I think it gives you the developer another choice on how to move data back and forth. How big a deal is this, Mark? Well, I think if you ask someone who is a JavaScript expert and who's looking to integrate a sophisticated JavaScript uh, implementation in the web viewer, they're going to say it's absolutely 100% vital. But I think what it allows that JavaScript guy to do is not have to know FileMaker to communicate to FileMaker, right? He doesn't have to write a script and use those scripts that we talked about. No, that's, a, that's another good point because the API works sort of like a traditional API where there's uh, the establishment of security, although a lot of that goes away because it's internal, so you don't have to swap tokens and things like that. But the, the same rudiments of how a, an API works uh, will be child's play in the hands of someone who's used to working with APIs all day long. So yeah, to your point, they won't actually have to know FileMaker scripting necessarily in order to pull a record with a given ID. That will be just another day in the life for a JavaScript programmer. 
I'm also thinking it's going to, uh, there's going to be some weird uses of this that have nothing to do with the web viewer. Like I, I'm imagining and in, in, I could be way off here, but I can imagine somebody running this script, you know, to execute FileMaker Data API and having it do nothing with the web viewer and just simply create a record or a series of records in FileMaker, almost kind of like execute SQL, but with the ability to do other things, you know, as execute SQL allows you to query tables, not create records. Is, is that way off or is that, I mean, will people do stuff like that with it or? I don't see why they wouldn't. And I think that would be not such a bad idea. Um, oftentimes when you're working with lots of data and you use execute SQL today, there's a caching aspect um, but once that's cached, it's a it's a neat way to be able to query data. And of course, people used it. I, productive computing at one point overused it to the point that's how we were doing a lot of different calls. And it turns out we got in trouble only because uh, some of the things we were calling had massive amounts of records and execute SQL doesn't really work on a massive scale like that, at least on the first few calls until the data is cached. But that's a story for another day. It can be slow yeah, is what I, you're saying. Yeah, it can be slow depending on the situation. So, you know, you have to figure out the right tool for the right job based on the conditions. But I, I agree that it does give us another choice that we didn't have before. Execute XQL is great, but it's read only. So how do we add a record? How do we edit a record? That can now be done with this internal data API. And we don't have to go to the server to do it. We don't we already have the data API, but in order for us to use it, Today, I'd have to actually call insert from URL script step, and I'd have to go out to the internet, go back into the server, establish token authority, do my work, and then have it come back in. That whole dance can be avoided now. I can just talk directly to the data while sitting there without having to go to the server. So the reason I compared it to execute SQL was because execute SQL doesn't need context. And I'm thinking that people might use this, even though it was designed for JavaScript guys and things like that, they might start using this to create records in another table without changing context because all kinds of things happen when you change context. I don't, I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting thing that we're going to see a lot of, of implementations that, that I, maybe the Claris engineers never designed to do, but it's perfectly willing to do those jobs for us. Yeah, well, the current data API needs context in the form of a layout, and the fields still have to be on the layout, just like when we work with PHP. That's still, that, that rule still applies with the traditional API. I don't know enough about the new internal data API if it requires that same rule mandate where you have to have a layout with fields on it in order to talk locally. But here we go. This is what I'm talking about. When you write a script to create a new record, you have to switch to that layout. I'm thinking right. that you can stay on the layout you're on, say, hey, I want you to go ahead and create a record through this API over in this table yep. without changing context. Exactly. As long as you define the layout, then you'll be fine in, in, within your command. But yeah, you don't actually have to physically go anywhere. You don't have to run a script to go anywhere. You don't have to interrupt the user for anything. It's all going to happen magically in the background in one script step. Yeah, because context is always messing people up. And it might be interesting to, to I don't know, we'll, we'll see. Well, some people who are smarter than me will probably get on the bandwagon and do some stuff with this. But I think we talked this more than we thought we'd talk about. But, <laughs> but uh, it could be interesting. It's one of those sleeper features. Let's see. It is very interesting, and I think we're all going to be surprised at where people take this. And I think the people at Claris are going to be, oh, we never thought they'd think of that. 
Okay, let's move on to NFC or near field communication, which is, if you're not familiar with it, you probably have used it. If you've used Apple Pay, it uses NFC. Most of your phones these days, probably within the last five years of purchase, have NFC scanners in them. And they basically use radio signals to do two-way communication. So when I go to the store, I just double click on, you know, double tap the button on my iWatch and I hold it up there and it, it makes a charge to my credit card and, and that's used. But there's so many more uses and now FileMaker's supporting it and they're supporting it as far as NTAG 213, 215 and 216 for you geeks who want to know the exact parameters of it. So it's 213, 215 and 216. But the, I think for most people, the most important thing is, is what could you actually do with it? Um, what, how could you use it? And, and I think you first need to realize it's only on iOS, so it's only on FileMaker Go. And you can do things like, you know, like I said, Apple Pay, but you might go into a grocery store and there might be a, an NFC tag there and you, you scan it and it pulls up a web browser and gives you more information about the product. I was going to say that might be very useful for people who have food allergies, for example, be able to search for, you know, this has got yeah. you know, peanuts in it and you have a, a peanut allergy. And one would think that you could extend that and put things that you have to search for to see if those ingredients exist. I mean, there's all sorts of possibilities here that, again, only time will tell. Once we start using it, we'll discover new ways to use it. So other ways you might use it would be to transmit business cards from one phone to another. Uh, boarding passes for airplanes or transit systems, you could use it to check in. Uh, you could use it, you know, I, I worked at, uh, at Claris a long time ago and I had this badge and I had to put it on to a badge reader to get access to the door. Well, you could use these NFC tags for that kind of security also. It's just unlimited it's almost I, i'm imagining it like it, it makes the world into a, a web browser kind of thing you know you can get information from everything and do anything just by having your phone with an nfc reader so it's it's pretty cool do you, mark do you guys have any plans on using this or clients who could use this um we've already got a couple clients asking about it and we're trying to figure out the best way to test for it and work around things i guess getting things that have an nfc capability isn't that difficult but yeah, we're still we're still getting up to speed on that particular technology. Do, do you mind sharing uh, what they're interested in, why they thought it might be good for them, or I don't have all the details. Gotcha. for that, but in future podcasts, that's a real possibility. Yeah, we could talk. That'd be an interesting podcast, huh? Mm -hmm. Do we have to? Does that mean we have to invite him back again, <laughs> John? <laughs> him, him again? I, 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 <laughs> I thought he was in charge him? of the show. <laughs> right. Wait, wait. Mark doesn't isn't fireside. Fi what? Oh, <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. Enough about NFC scanning. It's pretty straightforward. So um, let's talk about Siri shortcuts for FileMaker Go. And and I, I researched this. I thought I saw it. And I'm like, oh, big deal. But then I started researching. I'm like, wow, that's pretty cool. So the way it works is you have a a menu item when you're in the script workspace. Much like if you've ever used Grant Full Access, it's under that menu, the scripts uh, menu, while you're in the script workspace. It'll say Enable Shortcuts Donation. And when you do that, it makes that script available 
to the shortcuts app on your iOS device. So you can then communicate between a shortcut you've defined in the shortcuts app with Siri can, you know, tell, you know, you just have to record some of your voice and tell what the command is that will make it happen. So you can, you can control FileMaker. So you could, you know, tell it to go check, uh, check this, check to see if I've had any new sales today, something like that. And it'll open up your uh, FileMaker solution and run a script and, and get that information for you. So you can just sit there and wait instead of having to click, 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 button, 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 you know, all that stuff. So theoretically it's hands-free stuff. You could do it while you're driving a car. I like that feature a lot, and I think that that although it is specific to the user, where the user has a defined set of shortcuts that they have jurisdiction over, I still like I still like the aspect that if someone says, "Hey, is there any way I could get Siri to to bring up this report for me?" Just like you'd mentioned, you can actually say, "Yeah, let me just enable that script for you," and then they go to FileMaker Go, they set up the shortcut which they should already know how to do if they're asking about it potentially. And then they record the voice and they're off to the races. They say, hey, Siri, bring up my sales report. And then FileMaker Go opens up with the sales report sitting there. I'm not sure how I feel about this, really. I think it might be useful, but I'm not as excited about it as you two. Well, I'm not actually really excited about it because what happens with me and my phone is sometimes I say something that sounds like, hey, Siri. Well, hopefully it doesn't turn on right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll be recording like I'll be recording a video and, and, and Siri will come on. I'm like, shut up, Siri. I didn't ask for you. In fact, I've right. never asked for you, <laughs> but I can see how other people might love it. So Siri and Alexa are constantly being cursed out by millions of people across the planet. Yeah. The, keep in mind that the shortcut feature is somewhat independent of Siri. Um, and, and John was alluding to it, but I'm not sure if, if the listeners might realize that the the shortcut to an app is different and independent. So you can have a shortcut without invoking Siri. Siri is just an add-on to the shortcut. So good point. I did not allude to that. I, I but I'm gl- so I'm glad you brought it up. <laughs> how would you how would you do that, Mark? If you're not using Siri, how would you activate the shortcut and why wouldn't you just press the button? I believe that the I don't know all the details of the shortcuts, but I think that makes a new uh, button available to you maybe on the home page or something i'll have to just quickly look it up but i was i briefly looked at the shortcuts on what they could do and it wasn't siri was sort of the coup de gras as far as activating the shortcut but it wasn't a necessary thing yeah no problem i i i you know for me i i some people are always talking to their phone and so I understand it. Uh, I don't know how much. I mean, everybody's always talking to Alexa inside their little, you know, pods at home or whatever they are. My, you know, and, and I can I can see how some people are going to absolutely love this again, especially since it's hands free. So you don't have to click something. You know, you, that's why you might want to involve Siri with this so that you can just, you know, you're driving down the road. You've got a half an hour to drive. You want to see how your sales are doing. I mean, it just to me, completely makes sense as far as. Uh, a feature for FileMaker Go. I mean, I think it'll get an unbelievable amount of use. But I, I also agree with Mark. I mean, I mean, wow, it would be nice to be able to define this all from you know FileMaker and not have it require the person with the phone to to define something on each phone to to do what they want. But you know, uh, you know, they're they're stepping towards that. We'll see maybe some things come out in the future like that. 
Let's talk about machine learning, John, because this is something that I am completely unexcited about, and I must be—I must be wrong, because other people are very excited about it. Well, <laughs> no, I don't think you're wrong. I've—I've I've talked to enough people to know that enterprise solutions, big companies are—are you're already using machine learning already? Um, and because Claris wants to break in to these bigger businesses, they need features like this. Uh, I know Soliant's been using machine learning for a while because I read Wim DeCourt's wonderful article on machine learning and core ML and the support in FileMaker. It's really great. If you want to learn something, uh, it's great. I mean, I've Googled a lot of stuff too. And, and personally for me, I'm like you, I, I don't think I'll ever deploy it in any solution because I don't, I don't work with these gigantic, I don't have a team of 20 people working with me that can get an enterprise solution like this would be used in. But let's talk about what it is that it does. And so there's many areas of machine learning, but it's basically artificial intelligence. Okay, so basically you don't have to teach the computer to do something by programming it. You've programmed it so that it can basically learn on its own. That's the idea. I mean, it's it's not complete artificial intelligence. Don't ask me to, to split the hairs and tell you the difference between it. But basically, it can essentially learn and make decisions on its own. And so the way that FileMaker is supporting it is two aspects of this gigantic bunch of models that, that Apple has on their website. And one is for images, which is called Vision. And the other one is called General, which is a text model. And these are just things that you can go ahead and have FileMaker. I think examples would be the best way to define it. So let's say that uh, you wanted to analyze your emails for spam. Theoretically, you could use this, you know, a machine learning to do this. And, and these are basically examples that come from Wim DeCourt's article. So I'm speaking from, I'm trying to, to use his voice and, but not speaking as well as him, but, you know, go there and check it out. But, you know, you might be want to categorize images, you know, what this machine learning can go is look at that image and recognize it and tell what type of an image it is. It's amazing stuff. And it seems, uh, you know, crazy that, that, Computers can do this, but these smart programmers have gone out there and made these models, these machine learning models, allow them to do things with images. And so you can imagine that somebody's going to have a database where they put this learning model in there for images, and it will allow you to categorize images without having to do a bunch of data entry. It'll do it on its own. It'll do it for you. So are you going to are you saying that FileMaker is going to become so intelligent it'll be able to eliminate us developers? Right. What's what's that uh, computer that Hal or whatever the guy who takes well, over? Talking, no, the Terminator movies. Um. Oh, well, that one too. Yeah, there's also the older ones, Space Odyssey 2000. Right. I've never watched it, but. <laughs> By the way, I'll put a link to Wim's article in the um, in the description for the um, for the podcast because it's yeah. Well another one that would be nice there would be the one for DB Services. They have they have probably DB Services as far as the high end stuff as far as making your own add-ons and talking about stuff I found nowhere else. Uh, DB Services probably had the best FileMaker 19. Yeah, I'll put, um, I'll put those links in. 
Other ones were great, but there were kind of an overview and, and glossed over features. These guys actually showed you how to do it. It was pretty cool. So that and Slyance I thought were the best. I don't, did you read any Mark that you would throw out? Uh... Yeah, I, I like, I like what those two that you mentioned, those are always good. Um, I think Richard Carlton has a lot of talk on this as well on some of his live podcasts too. Um, not, not his podcast, his YouTube. So that's another good resource for, he brings his engineers on and they talk about these things as well. Yeah. I saw his overview, which was pretty good in, in, in his style. And he revealed a lot of stuff. You had a good overview. Um, ISO FileMaker Magazine with Matt Petrowski had a good overview. There's a lot of them out there, but mm -hmm. the reason I'm mentioning these ones and they, they went into more detail rather than just saying, Hey, this is the feature you do. Right. And, and I like those. And, and I know you've done some since then who have specific right. information about FileMaker 19. So I don't want to, I don't want to, 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 you know, run over you with my car. But <laughs> so you do have, you do have some more deep stuff, but uh, yeah. I really liked those two and that was what I first read and I haven't gotten a chance since you released yours to watch them yet. So yeah. Yeah. And we'll be coming up with more interesting things on 19 related stuff as well. What videos do you have right now other than the general overview? That's it for now for 19 related stuff. Oh, I but thought we, I saw one come out the other day. Maybe I was wrong about that. Okay. Uh, we put a developer tools video, which actually pointed people back to this podcast. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I, I gave my own take on some of the tools we use specifically at Productive Computing, and that uh, that video went out. And then what I'll be doing is I'll be taking some of those tools and talk about them a little bit more in detail, such as the network link conditioner and base elements and some of the other tools that we use. Just have a dedicated video for each so people can learn about that. So I can tell Michael's still going, I don't understand this machine learning. And frankly, I don't understand it that much. I, I think what's going to really help us out is when we see developers do stuff and you say, how'd you do that? And they'll say, oh, yeah, that's Core ML. And do realize that Core ML is, is Macintosh only. It's not cross-platform to Windows. So I don't know what they're going to do for Windows users, but eventually something will happen. So Yeah. I find that whenever you have a platform specific only feature, it takes a lot longer for the public to adopt it. And I also find that uh, enterprise level companies tend to have more Windows than Mac as a general rule. So those two things kind of play against that. But um, it's been like that for a long time, which is why in the old days you used to see the department of Macintosh designers would all be using Macs and then you'd have the rest of the company using Windows. Or, or nowadays you see the whole company using Mac, except for the accountant who's using Windows. So, but the people who need Core ML, I would imagine a lot of those companies are using Windows. Um, then again, uh, you know everything. Everything is so changed these days. It, you just get the tool for the job, you get it done, and people find a way to get what they need using the best tools possible. So I, I think this is important to note: is that Apple owns Claris and that's probably one of the reasons I'm not saying the only reason but one of the reasons that CoreML is supported in FileMaker right now so yeah <laughs> okay well let's move on to one of the most incredible tools uh, since the migration tool and now we talked about the data migration tool before it's really cool with a few lines of code, 
you know, that, that's basically paths to files, you can take data from one version of your file to another and without using scripts to import it. It's a big giant time saver. Not only is it not require you to put all the scripts and stuff in there, but it's much faster. Um, so the data make migration tool is cool and it has changed and been updated for FileMaker 19. But really what I want to talk about is the new FileMaker solution upgrade tool. And I kind of like to think of it as the opposite of the data migration tool. It doesn't move any data from one version of a file to another. It only moves new schema, scripts, layouts, tables, fields, things like that. Any schema, it will move that over to the new file. So if you have a new version of the file and the, there's data in it, you can move just the new features and keep the data in there. And it's going to offer people another method for versioning, basically. But Mark, does that does this eliminate the need for the data migration tool? Yes and no. Uh, first, on the data migration tool, we've just uh, we're just about done finishing up our tool compatibility with nineteen and Catalina. Catalina introduces more security uh, issues that didn't allow us to export um, the tool in a way that made it easy. So we've revamped that whole thing. We've re-recorded a few videos and the data migration tool that we have, which is called the FM Data Migration Assistant at ProductiveComputingUniversity.com is now all new, still free, available to you as a shell so that you can still continue to explore moving data from one file to another in the way that John described. The, the This new tool, which is very similar, it's almost like cut from the same cloth in that it requires a terminal application in order to succeed with it is is similar uh, except it's moving schema rather than data so i think this the idea behind this and what separates it is that i think this was intended to update a live file so that you're inserting and injecting scripts and schema in a live file after it's been tested in development versus the migration tool, which insists that while you're moving the data, the file is down at a very quiet place. <laughs> and you're moving the data, and then you take the completed data after it's been moved, and you re-host it. Well, this allows you to do those changes with a hosted file, provided you've tested it. And I think that's the biggest distinction. I'm sure there's others, but that's the big one that comes to mind. Yeah, the interesting thing I noted about it when I watched the video from DB services, because I haven't actually done it myself, was it was much more convoluted, much more complex than using the data migration tool by a long shot. It's a, it's a long video and it seemed overly complicated. It may get streamlined in the future to make it easier to work with. I don't know. Maybe it's impossible, but there was a lot of work that they had to do in that video to make it actually work, to move it. And it did work. Don't get me wrong. And it was fast. It's just that I would, my head would be spinning trying to use it. I'm, I'm a FileMaker visual guy. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a kind of guy that likes to type stuff in. So I don't know. We'll see. But... Well, that's okay. That's okay. Cause Mark will write a wrapper for it. This one might be hard one to write a wrapper for, but yeah, I had the same exact impression, John, that, wow, there's enough steps here where people aren't going to use this, uh, you know, just maybe the very advanced. That's why you need a wrapper. I've been try <laughs> exactly. Michael, I've been <laughs> trying to get him to make one for a while now. So uh, ever since I learned about it. So <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Don't you have enough I'm work cautious. to do? Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> we, 
Yeah, we're still making sure our FM server manager is compatible with 19, which which it is, and that's all new. And yeah, all these right. free courses that but take I, a lot I of think, time. I think it's important to note <laughs> here again the the agile release thing and how it's going to change the way you see features. And like we said, you can you can do add-ons already. You can make your own add-on, but it's just not easy to do. And they're going to streamline mm -hmm. it once they get you know feedback from people and things like that. And I think the same is possibly true with this FileMaker Solution upgrade tool. They're going to see, hey, are people using it? Do they like it? Do, you know, what do they want? You know, who knows what? Is it useful? And then they'll streamline it and make it more easier for people to use in in the long, you know, in the future. Right. Yep, I agree. These this is the foundational steps. And I, I don't think we're really used to that kind of. Of, of way of FileMaker introducing us to features. And I think this is the beginning of that that change. And we're going to see things a little bit pre-release, like this is this is a public beta kind of thing. And uh, and I don't know, that's, that's, it just seems, this release seems so different and, and so foreign to me. And, but yet I, I'm kind of understanding it after having, you know, talked to lots of Claris employees and, and other FileMaker developers and, and researching, it just seems like this is how it's going to look in the future where we get, you know, kind of a feature that's maybe not fully baked, but that would end up being better for everybody because they can give the feedback and it becomes the feature you want faster and better. So I, I don't know. Developers for years have wanted more say in future features so that the people developing the software would be closer to the people using the software. Uh, I always take it to FileMakers, the race car builder, and we're the race car drivers. And you really do need that feedback from the driver to, to let the people know, hey, it's a little sticky over here. It's a little pulling to the right over here. I need more acceleration here. Because the engineers don't necessarily know that. Um, so I think, John, you're right. This is a step in that direction where we can get some early testing of the car without the frame. And we can say, yeah, this works great, blah, blah, blah. And this is how I'd use it. And then they can better equip us with a final product after we've played with it for a year. Oh yeah, that's a wonderful analogy. I like that. Good. Yeah, that's you the community as a general rule always wants a voice in the product that they're passionate about. And no matter how much voice they're given, it's never enough. And um I think what you're saying, John, is this gives us a small voice in this one area. Um where we can have direct impact potentially, or at least get to use it in its early stages. So and it's that's just a step as beneficial right for Claris too, because they get a chance to say, Hey, this is what we're thinking about doing. How do you like this kind of thing? So. Yeah. Someone on Richard Carlton's team mentioned that they are releasing this sort of in a terminal DOS based, not DOS based, but they're releasing it in a way that's not threatening to the rest of the organization because it's a non-committed feature. It's not something they actually have to support. It's in beta, it's in preview. So they can give it to us without 
the pomp and circumstance of it having to be something serious and supported right now. Um, so that was a good point. I thought, oh, yeah, that's probably why it's going out in its form, in its very raw condition. I think it's important to note that this is all possible because of what they've been doing for the last several years. You saw the first glimpses of it in FileMaker 17 with this save a copy as XML. And when, uh, as I say FileMaker 17, I might have meant FileMaker 18. It's all going together. FileMaker 18, right? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I corrected myself, thank goodness. Um, but, you know, they they made it a, a, you able to describe a FileMaker file in XML. And so what you could do back in FileMaker 18 was save a copy from two different versions of a FileMaker file. You know, one that was a yesterday and one was today. And you could pull it into like BB Editor or some kind of a program that would tell the differences between the two files. And it would say, hey, here's all the differences. Here's what changed from one version of the file to the other. You'd see XML, but you, it was it was really language you could understand. In fact, I even went a step further. I made a little sample file that took and parsed out all of that XML, put it into a FileMaker database, and then showed you with the FileMaker database interface what the differences were between the two versions of the file. And I always said to, to Robert Holsey, who's uh, one of the, you know, the product managers uh, for FileMaker, or he is the product manager for FileMaker, he, uh, you know, I was saying, hey, you're going to, are you guys going to be able to reconstruct a FileMaker file from XML eventually? And he said, eh, kind of, you know, and, and now you're seeing this, that this feature is really based, this, this tool is based on that development of that XML grammar that describes a FileMaker file. So now you can define, analyze what kind of, you know, schema chains have been made and actually move them from one file to another and make them into a FileMaker file again. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, I like that. So we're on the home stretch here. We're on third base and we've got a few extra little things to discuss here. So there's some new and updated functions. I know, wait, wait for this. Michael's going to Michael's going to have a field day with this one. Um, the first new function we haven't talked about is the get system appearance. It replaces the get high contrast color. And the reason why is it now enables you to detect dark mode versus light mode on the Macintosh. Okay, hit it, Michael. Well, if you're completely blind, it might be useful. Yeah. But <laughs> if you can't tell the difference, what's the point? It's about the most pointless thing I've ever heard of in my entire life. I'm sorry. This is just stupid. I, I, I heartily dislike dark mode, so I understand. Um, not a big fan of it. Um, and so, and I've never even used get high contrast color. Never had a, found a use for it. But there you go. If you use it, now get system appearance. You've got support for dark mode versus light mode. But you don't. But you don't have a choice. Your your computer is either in dark mode, or your Mac is either in dark mode or light mode, and your FileMaker solution follows that. There is no choice. You can't say, "I want FileMaker to be in light mode and the rest of my system to be in dark mode." If the, if you could do that, there'd be a there'd be a point to it. But right now, if you can't tell the difference by looking at the screen, what's the point of having the function? It, it's meaningless. I think it might be to choose which layout style or type or contrast you decide to do as a developer. Would Could that be, like if I'm in dark mode, do I want to present a layout that looks different than if I'm in light mode? Right, 
and and that may be it although that's a lot of work right <laughs> having two layouts for every for for every for dark one layout for dark mode and one for light mode imagine if you had 100 layouts it'd be crazy so i i'm i'm kind of on michael's side with on this one <laughs> Amazing. You actually agree with me on something, John. I it, it staggering. <laughs> so um then a couple of them we talked about was re, re, uh, re you know reiterated get application version. We talked about that earlier. Then we briefly talked about convert from FileMaker Path and convert to FileMaker Path is for use with the JavaScript integration. We talked about the get page count. And now there's also the computer model function. We didn't talk about that, but we should have. It goes along with machine learning, and that's actually how you get the data out of that computer model. So you have to combine, and, and I hope I'm not messing this up, the, the compute model has to be combined with, uh, with all those features that we talked about with the core ML uh, in that script step too. And I don't think we even actually mentioned the script step. Uh, for Core ML, which is, uh, let's see if I can get it here. It's configure machine learning model. So that configures it, and this allows you to get the results of it, the computer model function. That's as far as I'm going to go into it. <laughs> Not worth it. Um, we're just kind of a little few, few bits and pieces we're going to mention. Uh, the year name uh, function has changed a little bit. You can check it out yourself. There's some error designation changes. Um, the following functions no longer accept SHA. Let me go back to the year name. Completely pointless. Who cares? It's 2021. We don't care that it's AD or CE. It's not BC. It's the end of story. You know, it's like completely waste of time. But but you're making it pointful right now, though. <laughs> just, I'm just, I tried to go right over it. I'll say it. I just, <laughs> I try. And then you're like, no, wait a second. It's really, oh, no, no, it's not important. Yeah. I, I mean, there's like one guy out there who's going to care about this. Um, and I won't even go into the, all the crypto uh, things that have changed with SHA. I don't do that stuff. So, but that's changed. Just if you're, if you're, you know, j doing that stuff, then, then it's changed. Look at that, you know, and, and, and make your changes to your system as needed. We good? We don't, we, let's, let's, we don't have any comments on those functions, right? <laughs> um, a little change that you'll notice will be kind of fun, and I think they did a good job. Uh, you know, when you go to the inspector, all those little buttons, they no longer have outlines around them. And the buttons in the data viewer change. Just, just a mention, I wanted to make sure you go, hey, it looks different. What is, oh, yeah, it's that. Okay, I think it's, it's a cleaner look is what it comes down to. Something that might have a little discussion would be the ability to create apps directly in the cloud. Now, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is probably for beginners. Um, it does create real FileMaker files, but you're doing it in a web browser and you're using templates to create these. So it's very limited what you can do, but it opens up the FileMaker market to in-cloud development. They're still really creating FileMaker files so that you as a developer, when somebody creates their template, they go, oh, I need something extra, but I don't know how to do it. They're going to call you. You can open it up in your regular FileMaker Pro and still make the changes and add the features they want and continue it. So it opens up this, this market to people who have never used FileMaker before and then also opens it up to us developers so that there's more opportunity out there. I, tell, me, tell, tell me I'm wrong. I'm glad to hear it. So 
Well, when you think about almost any modern application, they're web-based, and almost every one of those web-based applications, with a, a few clicks of a button and a credit card, you are up and running in that application, whether it be Airtable or Salesforce or any other major web application. That's just the way they work. For FileMaker to bridge that gap and to make that same claim, I believe that this is what they had to do. Give you the ability to put in a credit card, click a few buttons, be a FileMaker Cloud member, and begin to start creating a new file that's hosted from the get-go. I think that's really what this feature is all about. But it's also the beginning of a new way to think and a new way to consider, oh, web development, web-only deployment, web, web, web. Cloud first is what they've said. So this is part of that. Mm -hmm. But I like your explanation, though, that it, it, it makes it so much easier for people to get into FileMaker. Yeah. And that's really what Easier and competitive, because that's what the public is used to today. Whether we like it or not, that's what they're used to. That's what they have come to expect. Very interesting stuff. It's going to obviously be like web direct and evolve over time and become more capable. Uh, but uh, all in all, I think it just spells out more work for us because they're, they're never going to be able to do as much as they can do in FileMaker, in my opinion. We'll see. Right. I mean, you remember how easy FileMaker used to be when you could just get a box, came in a box, you installed the disks and you had an application. That's how so many people started with FileMaker. And that's how software worked back then. Well, today, software works with put in a credit card, click a button on the website, and begin working with a file. So maybe that same ease of use and that expectation of what the first power user gets to see when they work with the platform, again, to your point, will just explode the marketplace so that adoption is a, a easier than it is today. Okay. I'm not too excited about that except the potential, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, the potential for the for the market increase. Yeah, for new customers, I'm thinking mostly existing customers probably. So we need, need like that. some violin music now, or or whatever the, you know, we're bringing out the funeral. What's that? <laughs> Good. Okay, well, yeah, start playing that violin music, or <laughs> if you if it's not on the the podcast, you know, arrange your own music. Uh, Runtime is dead. It's gone mm. it's been deprecated since filemaker 14 meaning that they're not going to improve it they finally said hey modern operating systems we we, we can't guarantee this runtime is going to work anymore so we have to get rid of it it's been it's gone you no longer see it you still have the filemaker go runtime <laughs> you can look at the filemaker go development guide but there's no runtime for a desktop machine at this point um and you know some people are going to be really unhappy, but I love how Claris gave us so much time to find alternatives or at least prepare for it. I mean, that's a lot of versions they held on to it. Years, years. Is this going to affect any of you guys' business at all? or No, no, it won't. At one point or another, we were, we were using the runtimes to allow people to demonstrate our products, but the runtime application installation and usage is very difficult because even if you zip it up nice and neat, or even if you make an installer, at the end of the day, you still have to have a shortcut to the application and the files, the user files have to be in the right place. And it's this real clunky way to do it. And I know there's, yeah, I know there's a lot of developers out there that depend on it. It's the lifeblood of their entire product offering. So for them, they're finding workarounds now, I would imagine. But um, 
No, we're not going to miss it necessarily. Nope, nope. never. I I won't miss it. I know, but I know some people will. So we gotta we gotta you know understand no. their their frustration. But man, I I gotta give it up to Claris again. They they really did it right when discontinuing it. Okay, so Linux server is back. If you remember back in the old days, in the FileMaker 6 days, we had a FileMaker server, which was Linux. And FileMaker 7 came along for whatever reason. I don't think any of us know. It was nixed and there was no longer a Linux server. And so I think probably the best person to talk about the different servers and why Linux server is back, or at least theorize why it's back, will probably be Mark. So tell us a little bit about, are you excited about Linux server or? Well, we are. As a FileMaker hosting company, Linux gives us some nice options. Um, it gives us um, lower cost licensing. It gives everyone lower cost licensing because you, you don't have to pay a fee to Microsoft in order to install a Linux operating system. So that right there is one big thing. The second big thing is Linux is a different operating system than Windows. It's a lot less specific about user interface. So the deployment of it could be a lot more automated than a Windows deployment in the cloud. So again, speaking from strictly from a hosting company, uh, Linux would definitely be our preferred way to deploy FileMaker Server going forward once that gets released. And we're excited about that. Um, the theory of why it's back is potentially because FileMaker uses a Linux version for FileMaker Cloud. So perhaps all of that code is now fresh, revamped, revitalized, and available. And perhaps there was demand in the marketplace for people to say, well, if you guys are using Linux for the cloud, why can't we have it for our on-prem or for our own private cloud, wherever that might be hosted? So perhaps it was just that simple. It's, it's available. So and now is being distributed. Um, so th those are the, the big things. I think when you ask anybody who works in the cloud, they would prefer to have a Linux operating system at the root of it all versus any other operating system. If you ask the typical cloud specialist. Is, is that because of licensing also or? Oh, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a proven track record. You think about a web server these days. No one really sets up a web server on a Windows box. They set it up on a Linux box. And, you know, all the web servers of the world are pretty much Linux for the most part. That's how it runs. That's just, it is the foundational operating system for cloud-based services. Uh, the fact that they have Windows in the cloud is because people run other applications and other things that require specifically Microsoft. So, yeah, I would say it's just the standard. It's the gold standard for cloud computing. It's the backbone of everything. Cool. Okay. So now we basically have four versions of FileMaker Server, Mac, Windows, Linux, and AWS is, is essentially Linux, but it's, you can't, you can't just, I mean, it's different, right? It's a different, it's got proprietary technology in it and things like that. Well, uh, I think what you meant to say was FileMaker Cloud. Sure. Which, sure. Which runs on AWS. Um, yeah, I would say, I would say we have three platforms, Linux, Windows, Mac, and then if you consider FileMaker Cloud as sort of a hybrid of the Linux and something proprietary and specific in the way that it works, I suppose that could be considered a fourth method of deployment, not necessarily a new platform, but a method of deployment. 
and keep in mind, besides the platform types, there's the location types, whether you have it on-prem, on-premises, you know, a customer's location, or whether they host it in the cloud with a professional hosting company like us, or where they host it at FileMaker with Claris, a FileMaker cloud, or they host it in their own cloud server. Um, there's just a number of ways you can use FileMaker server these days. And I'm really happy to see Linux being available to people that don't necessarily want to use FileMaker Cloud, but who want Linux, which I'd raise my hand twice on that one, as far as what we would want as a company. So yeah, I, I really applaud the move. It's something they probably didn't have to do, but I'm glad they did. Cool. Okay, good. I Couple John, one other, one other distinction. Yeah. I, I, I think I want to mention that with FileMaker 19 in the web architecture, the web designing on in the web browser, like, like we mentioned with FileMaker Cloud, I think that's only available in FileMaker Cloud. It is not available using traditional server. Yeah, that's my understanding as well. And yeah, I, That's a good distinction mm -hmm, to make, though. Right, so. and I don't know what their plan is forward, if it means that it will always only be available in FileMaker Cloud or if it will eventually be available with these other versions of FileMaker Server. I would bet on right. not. I would bet the same. Um, but anyhow, we'll see. Yeah, I think it just seems to be that it's this just this one-stop shop thing. And uh, I don't think any professional developer would, would use it. Um, I certainly wouldn't consider doing it that way because the solution needs to be a fair amount of it needs to be developed before it's even ready to show the client and decide whether this is the right direction or whatever. You've got to build the framework before you can use anything. And so for that purpose, why would you develop it in the cloud? Unless it's just for beginners and people who want to get started. I think, I think it's for beginners and for people who want to get started, at least in its current flavor. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, right. it's mm -hmm. really the same idea as web direct versus, doing something with custom web publishing. It's much easier, not quite as powerful, but uh, it will get more powerful, but it's really just for beginners right now and to break into the market and grow the market share. And, and I applaud uh, Claris for doing, it. I think it's a great idea, um, especially since it makes FileMaker files. That's the best thing. That means we're still involved. We're not, they're not doing a technology that they're not including us in. It, it will make FileMaker files and we'll be able to use them. So it's, I'm pretty happy about that. Mm -hmm. Okay, a few yeah. more things. We're almost at the end here. I know it's uh, it's a sad day, but FileMaker 19 is pretty cool. And there's some minor changes. Um, one is on the change minimum version you found in file options, you can now change it when the file's hosted on a server. You couldn't before, and you'd have to take down the file, You know, close the databases, take down the file, open it up in FileMaker, change it, if you needed to change it. So I'm sure a lot of people would be, oh, thank goodness I forgot to set that. I don't have to go through the whole list of things to do that. Seemed like a weird thing to prevent them from doing, but uh, who knows. Mm -hmm. And then, I'm not sure I understand this one, but you, if you guys are familiar with the default fields that get created when you create a new database, a new table in FileMaker, you know, puts all those housekeeping fields in there for you, the primary and foreign key and all that stuff. Well, right. they have changed the name of the empty file that you're supposed to stick in a particular location so that that doesn't happen. Cause I don't want it to happen. I don't, I mean, I could go in there and change 
their XML file. So they had my naming conventions and using a serial number. I don't like to use the UUID. I could do all that stuff, but then it wouldn't be the same on the next person's machine. Like I often go to clients and program there. I just want to turn it off. I wish it was a preference option, but what they've done is they've ch they haven't changed the location where this empty file goes to prevent the creation of those, but they've changed the name. So the, how I found out was I opened up FileMaker 19 and I said, why is it creating these fields again? And I'm like, oh, okay, they changed the name for whatever reason. I know there's a few changes to how the default fields work, and that may be the reason why. But, uh, you know, you're going to have to remake that file and re-remember and reread where to put it so that it doesn't make those if you don't want every new table to have all those default fields. Yeah, and, uh, John, did you create a solution that talked about default fields? I don't know about a solution, I, 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 but, I, yeah, I did a video on it for sure. Right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I talked about how to modify it, and Slyon has a modern one that t talks about – the new one. So the difference is it's called default fields.xml is what you have to name the file previously. Now in 19, it's fm default fields.xml. And I think it, it wasn't to mess it up. I think it's because, you know, Slyon talks about some of the changes to that file. And I think that's the reason why they, they wanted to make, because it might have, I don't know, messed up, you know, FileMaker 19 if they use the same file name. So anyhow, uh, don't be surprised when it happens. Got it. You could just go to your file and that's in there already and just put the FM at the front and it'll fix it. So anyhow, nice little thing to end on there. Any other last uh, thoughts here, guys? We're, we're up at a two-hour podcast here. I think it's a good uh, piece of meat for everybody to chew on and learn some stuff about. Any last-minute thoughts about FileMaker 19? Oh, well, I'm, ex I'm excited about the future. I'm excited about the platform. I'm happy that things are moving in the direction that they are. Um, we're always looking for more stuff, even more than what they've delivered. You know, you always want more. That's just the nature of the beast. But uh, we're excited most mostly about the add-ons and the JavaScript integration with the web viewer. I think that's real potential there. Yeah, I'd have to say that's my favorite thing is the JavaScript add-ons. When they finally come, that whole JavaScript integration, just, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted by the possibilities. Yeah, my guest is flabbered right. too. Yeah. <laughs> I know your favorite feature is dark mode. I know. It's not that I don't like dark mode. <laughs> I just don't think it works properly yet. And I think we ought to have a choice. <laughs> the choice is don't touch it and leave it the way it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Anyhow, it's been nice having you guys here for the last couple hours. We hope you learned a lot. And, you know, keep on working with FileMaker and learning FileMaker 19. We'll all be releasing more videos, more articles, more example files, all kinds of stuff on it. So stay tuned. Absolutely. See you next week, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Fireside FileMaker, a podcast with John Mark Osborne and Michael Richard. We'd love to hear what you think, so please email us at info at firesidefilemaker.com. That's info at firesidefilemaker.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.